0: So, we are continuing our series this morning on John the Baptist, and we are going to open our Bibles in Matthew chapter 11, and Martin is going to read to us this morning. The reading is found on page 976. That's 976 of the Pew Bibles. And I'll be starting from chapter 1, our first one, and finishing at verse 19. After Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see, a reed swayed by the wind? If not... What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, I'm more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, Among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, He is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. Amen.
1: It would be enormously helpful to me if you were able to turn to page 976 in the Bibles, because we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 11. I wonder if I could ask a question I've never wished to ask publicly before, and I hope I ask it reverently. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Maybe there is someone here this morning, and that's you. You're here at church today, sitting in your pew, singing the hymns, nodding, polite, politely to your neighbor, but actually deep down, or maybe not so deep down, you're feeling sad and sore, and if brutally honest, let down. Well, as we turn to this passage which Martin read for us this morning in chapter 11 of Matthew, that is the first question we'll be thinking about. Have you ever been disappointed with God? And the reason why we ask that question is because it would appear that John the Baptist was. And then having asked that question, we're going to pose two further questions. Where do you go if you are disappointed with God? To whom? Or what can you turn? What is your coping mechanism for such an eventuality? Where can you express that deep-seated disquiet? And then thirdly and lastly, we'll ask, what hope, what are the pointers given to us when confronted with disillusionment and disappointment? So as we ask these profound questions, uh, may we seek the insight of God's Holy Spirit, who after all is the one who gives light into dark places and order out of disorder. So we pray? Our gracious Lord, as we read about John the baptizer in prison and think carefully about the questions he poses, please will you grant us insight and understanding which will help us know you better and then serve you more effectively. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He was a child of the desert, leathery-faced, tanned skin, clothed in animal skins. What he owned fitted into a pouch. His walls were mountains and his ceiling the stars. But not anymore. His frontier is walled out, his horizons hidden. The stars are memories. The fresh air is all but forgotten. And the stench of the dungeon relentlessly reminds the child of the desert he is now captive of the king. In anyone's book, John the Baptizer deserves better than this. After all, is he not the forerunner of the Christ? Isn't he a relative of the Messiah? At the very least, isn't his the courageous voice of repentance? John's problems began when he called the king on the carpet. On a trip to Rome, King Herod succumbed to the enticements of his brother's wife Herodias. Deciding Herodias was better off married to him, Herod divorced his wife and brought his sister-in-law home. The gossip columnists were fascinated but John the Baptist was infuriated. He pounced on Herod like a desert scorpion, denouncing the marriage for what it was, adultery. Herod might have let him get away with it, but not Herodias. This steamy seductress wasn't about to have her social climbing exposed. She told Herod to have John pulled off the speaking circuit and thrown into a dungeon. Herod hemmed and hawed until she whispered and wooed, and Herod gave in. That's Max Lucado's setting of the context of Matthew 11. John the baptizer is in prison, and more of that next week. Prison at the best of times is not a happy place. But after a brave and successful ministry, surely that is not fair. But life is not fair. And to quote another author and theologian, Philip Yancey, we tend to think life should be fair because God is fair, but God is not identical to life. And if I confuse God with the physical realities of life, by expecting constant good health, for example. Then I set myself up for crashing disappointment. John was locked up in prison, dark and dingy walls. He was incarcerated, not because he was bad, but because Herod, the puppet king, was bad. And there's a further factor that may have compounded John's disappointment and upset with God. Reports were coming back to him, relayed by some of his disciples, verse 2, of the deeds of the Christ. That's what it says. He was hearing about the deeds of Christ. Now, less than two years before, John himself was pointing to Jesus and crying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I baptize with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, John clearly believed Messiah was coming for two major purposes. One, to rescue the righteous. That is, take away sin. And secondly, in an order to judge the wicked. And that's the reference to burning up chaff with unquenchable fire. But what is it that John is now hearing from his disciples? Jesus is performing miraculous deeds. He is preaching beautiful sermons and he is healing people. But where's the judgment? Where's the fire? And so, like Jonah 700 years before, John is disappointed. His expectation was surely that God would destroy the wicked. John expected a judgment, not grace, on those who did not deserve it. And so when God fails to meet the prophet's expectations, disillusionment, disappointment, depression. We may or may not be disappointed in quite the same way. Although, let's be honest... There's a terrible lot of wickedness in the world that seems to remain unchecked, isn't there? An awful lot of badness that God seems to be turning a blind eye to. Our disappointment may or may not be concerning the judgment of God upon evil. But the point is this, God isn't behaving in the way I expect him to behave. So that's the first thing. Disappointment with God. Now if that's the first question that leaps out of the passage, have you ever been disappointed with God? What's the second? Where do we go if we're disappointed with God? To whom can you turn? Where can you express that deep-seated disquiet? And it's fascinating to see what john did verse 2 now when john heard in prison about the deeds of the christ he sent word by his disciples and said to jesus are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another when john was disillusioned when john was depressed when john was disappointed where did he turn to? Where did he go? And the answer is he turned straight to Jesus. When the disciples were caught in a storm in the Sea of Galilee, to whom did they turn? Jesus. When Jonah in the Old Testament was upset When Job was bombarded with unexplained and horrendous trauma, where did they go? And the answer is not to introversion. It was not keeping their disappointment and pain to themselves, less to lapse into unbelief. They were bold and honest enough going straight to the Lord. Because God is not afraid of hard questions. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. Disappointment is not the same as atheism. And so here John sent word directly to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Are you the one I thought would rescue the righteous and judge the wicked? Or should we look for another And I wonder if you can see Jesus' incredible reply. And here we see not just the words that he uses, but the way he uses them. Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. In other words, helplessness is turned to life. Don't be worried, John. God's great purposes of good are being fulfilled. John, don't be anxious. You can't see the full picture just yet. You cannot see the immediate vindication of right. You cannot see the immediate judgment and wrong. But God's plan is on schedule. Everything's on track. And while Jesus is having this dialogue with John's messengers, and the crowd is wondering if this is some sort of slight on John languishing in prison, I wonder if you can see how beautifully the Lord Jesus affirms John's faithful service. Although critically, crucially, he does not promise to spare him from the crucible. John is no reed waving in the breeze, verse 7. He's no weed. He's no weakling. Nor is he a silk and satin courtier, verse 8. He's a tough and faithful servant of the living Lord. There have been many prophets, said Jesus, but John is the very best. In fact, he's much more than a prophet. He's the greatest of all the Old Testament saints, verse 11. Of all the people prior to the cross, John is the very best. Why? Because he has prepared the way for the one true king. He has faithfully fulfilled his ministry by pointing people to Jesus. And there is nothing better than we can do than that. Where do you go if disappointed with God? we learn from John, go straight to Jesus. For true faith does not attempt to manipulate God to do what we want, but trust positions ourselves to align ourselves with him. And in saying anything we want to Jesus, please note just how generous and how kind Jesus is in response Where do you go if you're disappointed? Go immediately to Jesus. We're nearly finished, but there's one final point we simply must note before we're done. What is the hope for those who are disappointed with God? John is in prison, he never gets out of prison. Within weeks, his head is severed from his body and presented to the wicked wife of the king on a silver platter. John is not granted immunity from this great trial. So where then is the hope? Where is the hope when God seems to be sitting on his hands? If you've asked for a mate, but you're still sleeping alone. If you've asked for a child, but your womb stays barren. If you've asked for healing, but still you are hurting, asks Lucado. Don't think God isn't listening. He may be answering questions you are not even asking. John was requesting God to resolve the temporary, Whereas Jesus was busy restoring the eternal. John felt Jesus was unconcerned about injustice. John wanted Jesus to exercise judgment on wrong. And instead he was exercising mercy upon people who did not deserve it. John wanted things done now... Whereas Jesus was anticipating the not yet. Did you find it interesting as I did where Jesus says in verse 11, I want to tell you something true. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the baptizer. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's that about? What Jesus is saying is that God is not unconcerned about your problems or the injustices you face. He cares more than you can ever know about inequity and persecution and prejudice and pain. In fact, he knows only too well, first-hand, what it is like to be punished for something he didn't do. He knows what it is like to call out to God and to feel the silence. At the most traumatic moment in his life, Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment... Judgment upon sin was exercised on him. God's wrath against wrong was unleashed on him. The fire of unquenchable flame was burnt upon him as the dross of your sin and mine and that of the whole world was on him. And on the cross, Jesus answers all our unanswered questions and transforms the pain of doubt and disillusionment into the opportunity for faith and everlasting joy. And that is why the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than John. Because those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus have now lived to experience the blessings of the cross. Where perfect love and perfect judgment have met in the substitutionary, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have you ever been disappointed with God? That's okay. He can take it. Where do you go if disappointed with God? Come to Jesus. Come right now. And what is the hope for those who are disappointed with God? The hope is in the cross. Where the judgment that ought to have rested upon you was upon him. Where our redemption was Purchased, our sins forgiven, we were given the right to become daughters and sons of the living God, and we were granted an eternal perspective that makes all the difference in the world. we pray. Oh, our gracious Lord, what an inordinate privilege to be in the place where we are, to have the benefit of living after the cross of Jesus, where perfect love and perfect justice meet on Christ. Our Heavenly Father, melt our hearts. Do within us what you need to do this morning so that, reminded again of the extent of our redemption, we may go from here renewed, encouraged, and enabled to live lives of love, and justice in this world in which we live. Please, God. Hear our prayer. Amen.
2: Let's uh, come and pray uh, with thanksgiving uh, to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise and thank you. Uh, that you are the living God. Thank you that you've given us life, and in our helplessness and weakness, you've come and given us new life again. Father, we thank you that you've done that by giving us your Son. Father, you haven't just given us the good things of this world, the bread and the wine, but you've allowed us to feed on your Son, who is the meat and drink of life eternal. Father, thank you for these confirmations that we've received today that we are indeed citizens of your kingdom, that we belong to uh, the community of people, to the heavenly city that Jesus opened up by his blood all those years ago. And so, Father, we pray that having received this bread and wine today, we may go as people who are uh, living lives worthy of this great gift that you've given us. We pray that we would go in the power of your Holy Spirit. To live as citizens of your kingdom, as followers of Christ our Lord, as people who walk under the banner of the cross. Father, we pray this, that we might abound in every good work. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, we pray. Amen.